Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to my podcast, Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Ooh, my guest today is a true treat, y'all. She co-hosts the Emmy and NAACP Image Award-winning daytime talk show, The Real. And she co-hosts the nationally syndicated radio show called Cafe Mocha. She's one funny lady who's truly living the American dream. And now she's telling her story in her new book called I Tried to Change So You Don't Have to. True Life Lessons. Please welcome comedian, TV host, and now author, the very funny and beautiful Lonnie Love. Hey, Lonnie. Hey, Vivica. You forgot sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Lottie, don't rub it in just because you're getting some, okay? <laughs> okay. She's like, don't you forget that I'm real sexy. I got a man, Miss Vivica. <laughs> so we'll back that up. The very funny and beautiful and sexy Lonnie Love. <laughs> hey, girl, hey. Hey, Vivica. How are you, darling? <laughs> I am doing so good. I was just telling my producers before, we came on that I saw you looking so beautiful on The View, talking about your new book. How was how that know. experience for you? Now you are an author. Yeah, well, you know, actually, this is my second book. Oh. Uh, my first book was called uh, Love Them or Leave Them, But Don't Get Stuck with the Tab. And I wrote that <laughs> about three years ago. Yeah, it was a dating book. So, ah. um, yeah, so I'm just honored to be able to get um, a second book. So I'm a two-time author. And let me tell you, you know, everybody knows me from the real, and I'm used to being a talk show. But doing The View, Vivica, you know how it is. It's a yes. whole different level of just talk pressure. Show. Yes, mm-hmm. it, it was just different. It was really, really different. So, but I I, I paid through. I, I pushed through. <laughs> Were you nervous? At first, I was nervous. Um, mm. And then once I got to talking, then, you know, I was like, oh, let me just be myself. Right. Um, because, you know, it's it's a it's a talk show, but they're much they're much more different, um, politically based and yeah. driven. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't want to get on there and be like, mm-hmm. you know, or say something crazy. But mm-hmm. they were so gracious. They were so kind. The questions were just, you know, you could tell that they had, uh, you know, uh, read the book. And um, so their questions were very insightful. And I just really enjoyed having a conversation like that. You know, well, really you know it's good. led by Whoopi. So Miss Whoopi Goldberg keeps it real. And that's yes. what I love about her is that I believe that when you do a talk show, that the feel of the talk show uh, starts from the top. And Whoopi mm-hmm. really makes sure that like people are respected. You don't mm-hmm. feel kind of like she going to trick you up or trying to get that clickbait hit, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you can go on some talk shows and you, 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 mm-hmm. you're like almost on guard. Mm-hmm. And it should be about celebrating your career, your achievement, or your project. So I'm glad to hear that your experience there um, went great. But I want to get into this book, child. What was your motivation for your new book? I tried to change so you don't have to. (laughs) True life lessons. (laughs) Vivica, so many people don't know me. They only know me from the real. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them know me from Chelsea Lately. Some people know me from, you know, maybe Soul Plane or... Nickelodeon, but they don't know that um, for 20 years, I was a road comic. 
and I, you know, I was an engineer. Um, at one point I was homeless. And more importantly, I'm from the Brewster Projects. And yes. so I wanted to give people my story and, and I wanted it to be inspiring. I wanted to give them some hope. I come from very humble beginnings. And so that's the reason why I wanted to do a story, a memoir, but also to give the lessons in life. And that's yes. what I'm doing here. I'm very proud of the book. Can I tell you when I did my book, Every Day I'm Hustling, that that was because when they hit me about doing a book, I was like, y'all going to give me another job. Damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, Lonnie, we're juggling a lot. I mean, besides being a host, you're out on the road touring. I mean, you do a lot. And I love the cover of the book because it's so many different um, looks that you have. You got a top hat on looking like a G. Then you've got the glamour girl <laughs> with like the headband on and the sparkly uh, jacket with trimmed in fur. Then you've got like the home girl, like with the hat on and like, yeah, what up? And then you have like talk show hosts. So, uh-huh. you know, I love the cover of the book. I think it, it's really, really beautiful. And oh my gosh, and look, I'm looking at it right now. And you signed it, Vivica. Stay blessed <laughs> and sweet. Oh, Lonnie. Oh, oh okay. So when I post my picture with this, I'm going to make sure to post this, that I got a hand, an autographed uh, (laughs) copy of your new book. And I love the pictures in here. The pictures are so great because I didn't know that you're from Detroit. Yep. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, Brewster Project. We got that in common. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Indianapolis right next door. Oh my goodness. That's why you're so cool. That's why you're so down to earth and you're so cool. Can I tell you, Vivica, you, the title of your book, hustling it's it's it does not describe even more you're more than that you are a queen you are so encouraging you are that great sister and it's like you know to to be able to know someone like you that has been able to maneuver this industry is just is it's just you know it ain't no joke i never thought (laughs) You know, when I was watching Independence Day. So this is what I'm talking about. What And it relates to what I'm saying about the book. When I'm watching Independence Day and I'm sitting in that movie theater, you could not have told me that one day I would be sitting on a podcast with this woman <laughs> that I was admiring. I'm like, look at that sister there. What well, is she I, doing? Rocking you know that saying? red G-string and the hair toss and running and doing it with Will Smith. <laughs> you was doing it. And that's, but that's <laughs> what I'm saying is that in life, You never know where life is going to take you, but you have to also plan your life. And those are some of the things that I talk about in the book. Yeah. You know, it's like, I never thought that I would meet Vivica Fox. I never thought that we would be partying or we see each other like, hey girl, hey, but it can happen. And it's not so much, you know, about being in the entertainment industry is talking about in life in general. There are especially women that are trying to build themselves. They're trying to, you know, get married or they're trying to open a business. They're trying to raise their kids right. Mm-hmm. This is a story to inspire you, to yes. let you know that if I could do it, if Vivica can do it, you know, and be successful in whatever capacity you're trying to get in. You can, can do, do it, it to you it. Can you it. can do it. Yeah. All right, so let, let's go on your journey. Let, let's take people through your book. Let's start with your childhood. You're from Detroit, and you said you were raised in the Brewster Projects, because I was raised down the street from the projects. I think that's where I get my little hood, you know, credibility. I was like, y'all, oh, don't get okay. it twisted and think just because I'm somewhat <laughs> cute and can take some pictures that I can't get ghetto with you, you know? So you were from the Brewster Projects? Yes, the Brewster Projects. And I talk about it in the book about, you know, the reason why the projects were actually made in Detroit. Um, Low uh, cost housing. 
And um, it's a very interesting history about that. And what people have to remember is that, you know, that was for some people, the projects at the time, like when it was actually developed, was like maybe the 40s or the 50s. It was really a time for people to um, actually it was a it was a come up because people were migrating from the south. And then they and they built these low cost housing to um, to house the the migrants from the south, which were Mm African-Americans. And so with that, over time, it it developed into this low exactly what is titled a project. Mm. And, you you know, you put all these African-Americans and, you know, you start putting in drugs, putting in um, hopelessness and. You know, so I tell the stories of what I was seeing as a young girl, you know, during mm. that time. Some stories are are happy. Some stories are very dark. Some stories are sad. But it's a, a story of poverty, um, you know. And then you got to remember, Viv, that in the 80s, that's when crack came into play. Yep, absolutely. And course. when crack came into play, that was totally that really turned us around because we were okay, like in the late seventies, mm-hmm. we were okay. It was earth, wind and fire. You know yes. what I'm saying? We were okay. amazing, you know, Shaka Khan, you know, we were, we were good, you know, we were broke, but it wasn't, you know, it was like hair on stuff like that. But then when the eighties came and they put that crack in there, mm. whoo, there's some things. And so there are stories that I'm, I'm talking about in there about the, you know, with the crack stories and how I avoided not being a crack addict or selling crack because most of my uh, friends around that time, like 13, 14, you know, the B-boys started making them sell it because, you know, at the time the laws, like if they got caught, they would just go to juvenile. They wouldn't mm-hmm. go to prison. So because of that, you started seeing 14 and 15 year old boys drive yep. a Mercedes and stuff like that. Wow. You know the story. But a lot of people don't understand that that it was a good two years when, you know, crack was in the projects, I would say. And you know, people was buying the Gucci, they was buying the yep. designers, they was buying the Mercedes Benz. We're talking about 14, 15 year old boys having that. Yeah. And it was a good two years. And then it was like, all of a sudden, it like a snap of the finger and it changed. And that's when, you know, we started having the drug wars and then the police coming in. And then it was like, and I will have to say to this day, a lot of my friends have died. They did not make it out of the projects because of the crack era, because of the whole drug war thing. And I and I talk about it extensively and I talk about it and it was very hurtful to remember it because a lot of my girlfriends, they would get boyfriends who were uh, drug dealers and and pushers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my best friends, the story is in there. Peaches, she, you know, succumbed to that. And so Mm. she was shot and killed. So it's like stories like that in my childhood, but it's also fun stories too, you know, and, and, and that's it. Now, at one point in your life, you were homeless? Yes. When I was around uh, 17 years old, my Mm. mom kicked me out of the house for her boyfriend because she ain't had a man in 3,000 years. So when she finally got one, she was like, uh... You got to go, girl. You got to go. Right. 
I don't know where you gonna go, but you gonna get up out of here with me and uh and my dude who you know and it's a funny story though. It's really funny. It's you know and and it's it's something that I think mothers and daughters go through um mm. sometimes and. I put that story in there because I wanted mothers of today to maybe reflect and maybe understand how it can affect their daughter. And so hopefully if they're having some tensions or if they're yes. having some issues, then maybe they'll think about it and try to work on it before it gets to the point where you're just kicking somebody out. You know, Bonnie, like- <laughs> I've always made this statement that I believe, and I'm glad that you're saying that about mothers and daughters, that Mothers have a tendency to raise their daughters, but they love their sons. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was something that I struggled with with my mother and our relationship because I left home when I was 17 years old. She didn't kick me out. Um, Mm -hmm. I left just because I just had big dreams and was like, me and your egos are starting to bump heads and I want to do what I want to do. So let me just go on and bounce. But it's, it's better to see now mothers and daughters relationships improving that we don't kick our daughters to the, cause our daughters need love too to become mm-hmm. successful mothers and leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, you need that mother's love. Like I used to sometimes just want my mama to, to approve of, Oh my God, I saw you on TV still to this day that sometimes I got a reminder, you know, I had a book come out or, you know, I did this, mm-hmm. I've done so much, but that you still need that mother's approval. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely hear what you're saying. I think that, um, you know, um, and I go into depth in, in what I think was happening in the projects and the projects. We had no fathers. True. And that's because of the welfare system that was put into place so that women couldn't have men. Mm. Um, if you were going to you know, be on welfare you know, you're, you can't have a father in the household. And that really hurt, really hurt because I didn't know anybody growing up that had a dad. I didn't know what it was like. I mean, there were either winos or there were senior citizens and there were, you know, guys would come and go, but I think it really had an effect. On the black family. Oh, definitely on the black family. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that in, in effect, you know, so that's what happens when my mother raised me and I had a, a brother, too, that was there, but he was six years older than me. But by the time I got of age, I just think my mother was tired of being lonely. She was by herself. She found this dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? See? And so mm-hmm. then she was like, boom, boo, you got to go. And it's that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a lot in the story. And when you read it, you kind of understand it. But I totally can empathize with what you're saying. Um, with the relationships with mothers. And and I just really think because they, you know, especially with Black women, a lot of, and I talk about this a lot on The Real, and, and some people don't understand why I say it, but mm-hmm. I say that, you know, it's a good thing that we're raised to take care of ourselves, but we also have to have balance. Because Agreed. there's a lot of sisters, you know, they get of age and then they got this big house, they got this great career, and they don't mm-hmm. raise their kids. They may not have had kids and they don't have no, no partner. And then, and so yeah. they feel like there's something missing and they feel bitter and they feel like they, they missed out on life. So I'm really, you know, from my experience, um, telling sisters to make sure you have balance, make sure that you have, you know, um, uh, try to find love. Cause some people have just given up and I don't care how old you are. You never too, you never too old to find love. But wait a minute, hold on now, sister, because you said that you didn't want to be a black stepford wife. 
<laughs> That's right. But hold on, my my sister. You said no to being a black stepper wife. Well, uh-huh. What was that about? You're uh-huh. talking about balance, but you didn't want it at the time. The house and the the to be the stepper wife. What was that about? No, I'm talking about. That's about treatment. See, it's different oh. when you have imbalance with a, a good relationship versus, you know, you trying to get your career going and your relationship is bad or or something. Not necessarily bad, but it's something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be a wife. And, you know, for me, being a wife was something different. So that's what I meant by that. Yeah. OK, so hold on, because, see, I like to say that, like, I feel with myself, I could be a good partner. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know if I'm good at being a wife. And let me just explain myself, y'all out there for y'all like difficult what you talk about. <laughs> I don't like answering to someone on a consistent basis. Where you at? What we doing? Where are we going? This and the third. I'm a good partner. Like, hey, let's get together. Let's have a great time. Let's take a trip. Let's have fun and then see how things go. So to me, that's like the difference of being a partner and being a wife. What are your thoughts on that? That's what I'm talking about, Vivica. Exactly. Exactly. Like my boyfriend, James, I I love James and he's a Mm. great partner. And so he's gone to Arizona. He he left this morning and I'm like, okay. And he's like, you know, I'll be back in a couple of days. I ain't asking for a trip report. He, um... (laughs) <laughs> I, you know what I mean? It's like because you yes. to a certain point, I'm 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 a very, you know, he's trustworthy. I'm trustworthy. He's loyal. I'm loyal. I'm not you gone. Go out there with your friend and go pick him up and come back. He done put a tracking device so I can Uh-oh. see where he going. And I think I thought see, it was so funny. Cause I'm like, I I'll call you in a couple of hours. He got a whole tracking. I can put look it up now where he at. And I'm like, now, what do you think about that though? That's like having somebody putting a GPS on you, girl. But I, but then you got to realize there are two people in a relationship, and if this is what he wants to do to make himself happy, and make mm. I guess make me feel I, like I, because I told him, James, I'll call you in a couple of hours. You know, let me let me mm-hmm. talk to Vivica, and I'll call. He's got to try, and I can see where he's going. But maybe you have to look at. So I started looking at things differently. Maybe. Because he's driving alone, he if anything should happen, I'm able to look at it. Okay. So you okay. see, now that's see, the difference. Th- that was real, Lonnie, that was real mature of you to think that way, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. You're like, okay. But this is the difference, the road. though, Vivica. When what? I'm on a road trip, I ain't putting the tracking device on because it don't matter. But see, that's what I'm talking about. Does he expect you now to do that? Like, hey, I turned on the tracking device for me. Where's your tracking device when you go do something? I've been on many road trips and he's never asked me. So I just think because he's just that type of person where he wants to make sure I know where he is. Um, And, you know, I think that's it. But he lets me be me. And that's what I'm saying about balance. When I say balance, find you somebody. You have to respect them for what they are, but they have to respect you for what you are. And you and then y'all come together and y'all work together as partners. So that's that's what it is. So we're going to talk a little bit more about James in a little bit. I'm so glad you brought him up <laughs> and that we can talk about it. You know, that Lonnie got her, man, I ain't mad at you. Oh, Lord. But you have been in corporate world. You worked at a GM plant. You worked at Xerox. What was that experience like for you? Oh, my goodness. I worked at GM when I was a young engineer. I was like 
um, 22 years old, it was one of those crazy culture clashes because um, I graduated. I got this big job. I got dental benefits. You could tell me nothing. I go get my teeth fixed. (laughs) I have come up, made it out of projects to getting dental (laughs) benefits, you know? Um, And But what happened, Vivica, was that they actually put me in this group of white males. They were all in their (gasps) 50s or late 50s. And it was just a total culture clash. And it was like Monday morning when we would have like the Monday morning meeting and it's a group meeting. We're all sitting around and, you know, the boss trying to make us a family group. So what did everyone Mm -hmm. do today? Go around the table. And they're like, yeah, we went to Big Bear and went skiing. And yes, we went over to my mother-in-law's and then they get to me. I went to the Snoop Dogg concert. That's what I did. And they all looking at me like, like, who's Snoop Dogg? (laughs) Yeah, like, who? Snoop Dogg? Is that a rap? And you got to remember, Rap was just like, it was like gangster rap and all that kind of right. stuff was just coming out. Remember, we had pagers, you know, because mm-hmm. and then so I, you know, being the person I am, I had me a pager because I'm a young person at that time, you know, so right. I'm trying to be with the latest technology. I remember one of the one of my uh, co-workers was like, is that a pager? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, you really, you, you know, you really need to consider not having that because, you know, <gasps> the, people could think that you're selling drugs. And I was like, why don't you mind your business, Ralph? Okay. Okay. Mind your yeah. business. What you call him, Ralph? <laughs> yes. Isn't that Ralph? <laughs> I said just like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I would have to say that the experience was I was, I was this young black female, you know, put in with these older white males and it was this, this, this clash, but, you know, because of my upbringing and my independence, I was able to adjust to it. And, you know, I, but there were certain things that just even as a female, they wanted me to handle. Like, you know, if we have birthdays, well, Lonnie collect the money. You know, if we have a cake, I know Lonnie that's right. get the cake. Lonnie, Lonnie get the potluck right. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. No, y'all got to do it. So I started assigning them to do certain things. So it's like, it was really like for eight years, I was, you know, balancing and being a, you know, I've always been a, a caregiver, you know, and I, I like to be a nurturer. But in the office atmosphere, I started really looking and, and understanding that these were all married men. They were used to, and they saw a woman as, okay, you have to be submissive and do what we say because right. they were all married. And that was always in there. And I hurried up and changed their minds about that. We had talks. Now, someone at the GM plant inspired you to go to college, though, right? Yes. Before I got my engineering degree, I had grad- I was homeless. I graduated from school, but I didn't know what to do. I ended up getting a job at General Motors on the line. It was the worst job ever. I have to give a shout out to all the people that are on, you know, that do manual labor because we were mm-hmm. doing 500 cars a day. This is at the time wow. when cars was like booming. We would have mm-hmm. to do 500 cars a day, which was about 10 hours on um, Monday through Friday. We would have to do eight on Saturday. And it was like, it, it, I used to make car doors. So I would put like the trim. And I talk about it in the book exactly how it was done. But imagine just car door after car door after car door. That's what I had to do. And I had to do 500. And Monday you know, through Friday. Monday through Friday and eight hours on Saturday. And the thing about the General Motors plant, because you've got to remember, it was like in during the crack era, 
there were people that were just, they, they needed the money and they were making mm-hmm. good money, but they became drug addicts because this was their whole yep. life was the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the atmosphere. And you know me, I was like, you know, even though I was making money, I was still making money on the side. I was like selling chicken dinners. And, you know, I'm like selling stuff on the side because it's like the, the automobile factory at that time is like a whole world. It's a huge yeah. factory, you know, acres of land and people and 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 it's like its own city within itself. So one day the line actually broke down and I saw this brother and I was like, who, who is that? And he look, he didn't look like us. We all have on these t-shirts. We sweaty, you know, got dirt all on us. And he comes with this crisp white shirt on. And I was like, who, is, who are you? And he, you know, he said, I'm Mr. Arnold, you know, I'm a, a engineer. I said, engineer. And believe, understand coming from the projects, I ain't know, you know, we never talked about science the the sciences and engineering and stuff so I was like what do you do and he was like he saw that I had um a copy of Malcolm X's the autobiography of Malcolm X and he was like I love this book and I was like well you know I'm starting to read a little bit you know while I was sitting in my car being homeless and so from that we basically um struck up a friendship and he became my mentor and um mm. he actually is the the reason why um, he encouraged me to go to college. And that's why I ended up going to college. And it's really important for young people. If you're a young person, you don't have any type of guidance, try to find somebody to mentor you. Somebody Agreed. that, you know, is in maybe in the field that you're in. I do a lot of mentoring um, to girls. Um, I can do it through the Girl Scouts and different organizations um, because I just think that that's important. There's so many, you know, we always assume everybody's got parents that, you know, care about them, you know, no, mm-hmm. sometimes you got parents that don't give a damn about you. So you got to find your own way of guidance and having mentors. And so he, I really have to thank Mr. Arnold because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been in going through college. So you went, so Mr. Arnold convinced you to go to college in Texas? Yes, because what okay. happened was, you know, the, um, the universities were so like, you got to remember when I didn't know anything about financial aid. I didn't know anything about taking SATs, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he went to Prairie View and Prairie View was, you know, he thought that it would be better to go to a historically black college because of my circumstances. And um, so we did the process. I took the SAT and I got in and, you know, I ended up going down there and I don't know anything about college, even though he said some stuff to me, Mm -hmm. I still did not know what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what I was getting into, Viv. So I'm down there and I saved up enough money for a semester because I was like, you know, making all this money at the plant. And I go down there and um, the first person when you sign up is a, is a counselor, a college counselor. And he looks at me, he said, well, what are you, what major are you declaring? I said, oh, I'm going to be an engineer. And he looked at me, he said, well, you know, engineer is a lot of math, a lot of science. And you sure you want to do that? I'm like, yeah. Because, you know, I talked about it with Mr. Arnold. He's like, who is Mr. Arnold? I said, don't pay no attention. Don't worry about that. And so, but I also got a little offended because I'm like, why can't I, you know, take, you know, math and science? And so, right. why? yeah, you know what I mean? He kind of, he questioned it. And that's the thing is like, don't question. Just if that's what I said I want, that's what I want. And right. so he was my college counselor. And that's one semester 
Viv, he gave me like 14 hours and I had like algebra. I had differential equations. I had English, you know, I had chemistry that semester. I worked so hard because I was so excited and I had all A's and one B and one B came from that damn, that damn English teacher. I hate her. But anyway, (laughs) uh, she was determined (laughs) to not let me get an A. But while all that was happening, I only had one semester's worth of money. I didn't know about financial aid because, you know, I didn't, you know, talk to my mom and me and Mr. Arnold within the the communication was like, oh, something will probably work out. But I didn't realize I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? I don't have enough money for the next semester. And so I thought that I was going to have to drop out. Well, the same college counselor that had signed me up for all the classes. He called me back into his office one day because it was close to the end of the semester. He said, you know, I looked at your grades and so I submitted you for a scholarship and you got the scholarship. I said, are you kidding me? He was like, yes. Yes. But guess what the scholarship was from? General Motors. (gasps) So that's how God works. Okay. Yep. That is how, and I became a General Motors scholar um, yes, and uh, it, that paid for the rest of my uh, classes throughout the um, my college career. And I just have to, you know, the, the thing that I want to tell people about that too is that I know a lot of people are in college; they worry about funds. There are so many funds, even when you get into college, that you can apply for. You know, I have to give it up, you know, to the Negro College. Um, I was a part of the Thurgood Marshall. I got um, money from that. Of General Motors Scholar. Um, Pell grants, all that kind of stuff that I got. So when I got out of college, I didn't have any loans because I was able to get these funds, but never give up. If you trying to get yes. through college, never give up. Submit, submit, submit for money because there's money out there. There really is. And that's a good lesson that you're passing on to all of the, all the people going to college. Explore all of your avenues to help you because if you're going to college and you're applying, there's money out there that can help you when you get out of college to not be so in debt and feel like, dang, okay, I done wasted four years of my life and now I'm gonna be paying for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, I was doing everything. I was in the marching yeah. band. They would give me a hundred dollars a month to be, I'm like, where, where's, where's, the, where's the instrument? You get, I get a hundred dollars a month, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I, yeah. I, you say, I will be marching. Okay. okay. So, now let's, <laughs> so now let's move move forward to comedy because, you know, the fact that you went from GM college, you know, Detroit, Brewster Projects, GM plant to comedy. How did, how did that transition happen? Um, I was depressed one day at work. <laughs> you know, I had just came from the dentist. And I was like, you know what? I got to go back to work. I just could not understand the concept, Vivica, of if I finish my work, why am I still sitting in this office? But more importantly, when I first got there, you know, yes, I was with the uh, older white males. But we had was six months, six months within my first time of being there, there was a major layoff. And Mm. I saw them laying off people, Vivica, that had been working there for 30 years, 25 years. And when I, if you've never been seen a major layoff, what they do is you're sitting in your cubicle and um, they're going to, you know, they, they make an announcement. They were about to do the layoffs. If you're called, please go to the manager's office. And so you hear Mm. phones ringing and you hear people go. And then maybe 10 minutes later, they come back crying, they're mad, they're angry, 
They have to get their stuff. There's a security guard to escort them out. It is the oh, worst wow. experience. Yes. It's just, it's just, it's just the worst experience. So wait a minute. When you get laid off, you got to go to the office, get the call, come back, be mad, and then been, and then get escorted out of the premises by security. That's how they were handling ours. Now the other ones, but yeah, they were escorted because they don't want you to do anything, you know, like crazy or they don't want you to like uh, sabotage. Maybe you're sitting there mad and sabotage. So they give you your stuff, you know, they give you your, your papers and then you, you walk back, you collect your stuff and you leave and then that's Mm. it and you're done. But you know, the, the thing is, is that that put an impression on me when I was 22, because I said, so you mean you could work your whole life and you make money for a company and then they just decide they're done with you. And I, it just it just hit me a certain way. And, you know, I'm big on loyalty. And yes. I was like, wow, that's just so like not right. Janky. Yeah. Yep. And so then that's when I think that's when, you know, it started going in my mind, the, the motions, the wheels were going in my mind about, you know what, you need to find something that's really going to make you happy. And you don't sit here and just have a job to have a job. So that's when I started um, actually really seriously looking into comedy. I did comedy. I did some stand up in college. Um, but I was trying to go one path and that's what I'm saying. I was trying to go one way and then I had to change it. And I was really, really depressed one day. I was going through stuff that I was with this boyfriend and he wasn't what I wanted. And I, you know, then the minute you, you know, you get that job and you get that man, yeah, you gotta get married. You got a good job. You got man, get married. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just didn't want that. And I'm like, there's got to be more in life. I was just really, really at a point where I was sad. And luckily, I was talking to a lot of women and there were sisters that were working. um, And and that's the thing too. find you people, find someone to talk to, find you a group of a squad and, and a circle and stuff. And I realized that, you know, a lot of them, they were older than me, but they had been through so much and they were miserable. And I was like, wow, I just don't want to be miserable like this. And so, and I said, what is wrong with me? And so one day I went and I drove to Hollywood because I was feeling down. I was supposed to go home, but I said, I'm just going to drive to Hollywood and just look around or whatever. And that driving, I was driving all night and I ended up going to the comedy store and I went (gasps) there and, um, I, they had like five guys go up and it was one girl out of the whole Mm. show. And I was like, wow, that's, that's funny. You got all these guys doing comedy, only got one girl. And I can't remember who it was, but it was like, there's got to be more women. And it started clicking. That's when I said, you know, I started looking into stand up again and really, really started researching it and, and, and understanding the history of comedy and Moms Mabley and Whoopi Goldberg at the time and Lawanda Page. And there were so many great, you know, the Rosie O'Donnell was was coming up then and Roseanne and, you know, our girl Monique was coming up. Mm-hmm. And so then that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to start, you know, getting into comedy. And that's really what started my comedy career. And I just built up myself for a long time. I was doing engineering by day and I would go out to the clubs. I have to go hit a club because I needed to build yep. up my ag, build up my time. And I did that for about three years. I didn't have a manager. I was doing the Chitlin circuit. The people that don't know the Chitlin circuit, read the book. There's some funny stories in there about what I was going <laughs> through. 
You know, it the was- The Chitlin Circus is, is, is what will make you or break you, right? Oh, people don't understand. Me, Tiffany Haddish, yeah, Cat yeah. Williams, Kevin Hart, Leslie Jones, um, Dion Cole, everybody that you see that's Black, right? At this moment, that's, that's a stand-up. We have all been through that circuit. We were all like, helping each other out, trying to, you know, loan each other money, all this other kind of stuff. Trying and it was to just, make it. Yeah, trying to make it. We were just trying to make, we was trying to stack our chips. But you got to remember, Def Jam was was at that time. And when Def Jam happened, you you know this, you know, the history of, of Def Jam. And I talk about the history of Def Jam. I talk about the history of Comic View um, in the book. But I was trying to build my, my repertoire up and build up my jokes, build up my act, you know, b- developed a um, a whole persona on stage. And so it took like three years to do that. And then finally, you know, I was still working because I needed that that, that dental benefits. I needed them. So I was still working. I wasn't <laughs> to have some, that job. Yeah. Wait a minute, had to have some clean teeth, okay? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't want my teeth is hurting. So, All right. You know, and... Um, so... In 2003, mm-hmm. you won Best Stand-Up at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. Yes. Now, would you say that that was your big break? That was the break. That was the mm. break. And I talk about it um, because the thing is, is that in 2003, what I did was I actually, um, I was sitting at my desk in 2001. One of my coworkers came to me and said, Lonnie, you know, because everybody knew that I was trying to do stand-up. And he was like, hey, they have this open call for the Aspen Comedy Festival. And I was like, really? And I didn't know nothing about it. And um, I said, well, you know, hold my spot. And I went down there. I just left work and went down there. And what they were doing, the Aspen Comedy Festival used to be one of the biggest festivals. And if you as a stand-up went there and performed, you were going to make some money. You were going to get a deal. You're going to make some money. And I had... um, there's only two festivals, um, the Aspen Comedy Festival. They no longer have it, but it was also the Montreal Comedy Festival. And so I went down there. It was 600 people in line. You had to do 90 seconds. They was only looking for one person. And I mm. sat there, and it was over three days. So it was like maybe 200 people a day. And when I, by the time I got down there, it was the third day. Um, I was like number like 198 or something like that. And right. so then I, I just looked at everybody before me, everybody before me, I was just looking at their 90 seconds and I could figure out who they were going to pick, who they was. And I'm, nope, 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 nope. Cause what I was, I was looking, cause I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for my 90 seconds. You know, you think about 90 seconds, that is 90 seconds. That's quick. Yep. A minute and 30 seconds. And but you got to remember, this is when that Chitlin circuit, all those nights of, you know, sometimes they laugh, sometimes they throw tomatoes, sometimes they shake keys, sometimes you're only talking to one person. It paid off. Um, I had did some stuff um, where I performed for the troops and I went over to um, Korea and um, I said when I went over there, everybody thought I was Aretha Franklin. And I did that and I had and I developed this whole Aretha Franklin bit and I did that in 90 seconds. And um, I ended up getting the gig um, out of 600 people. And once I got that spot, I went to Aspen. Um, I was part of the New Faces. 
and new faces is when they have all these new comics and you've got the industry there. I mean, you got every major network, you got all the um, studios, things like that. You want to be seen there. Um, it was 20 of us out of the 20. I got the um, best new stand up for that year. And I have a very interesting story of how I even got that. So I try to tell people take challenges when challenges yes. come your way. Don't let people get you down um, because, you know, I was calling my friends when the, when the, when the call was happening for, you know, to go down there. And they're like, I ain't going to that. That's a cattle call. That's a cattle call talking about the audition. I was like, well, it's an opportunity. I'm like, what, you. what are you doing anyway? You ain't yes. doing, the, you know, you're sitting here, you wondering why you ain't getting a break. Well, at least go down there. If you say you bad, go down there and do it. So I went and down there, it. you know. I, I shared that in my book as well, too. I said, listen, success is not going to come knocking on your door. Exactly. If you want to be successful, you got to go knock on every door that's available to you. Matter of fact, you got to learn to kick that door in if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you also became a panelist on Chelsea Lately from 2007. This is a long time when I read this. You were a panelist on Chelsea Lately from 2007 to 2014. Mm -hmm. Now, what was that like working with Chelsea Handler? Because Chelsea went and got her some big old contract. You know what? What Chelsea taught me is that you can have a show that you don't, nobody knows you. And, you know, when we first started doing Chelsea, that first season, we had people from like Survivor 14. Those are the type of guests she was getting. Mm -hmm. And she worked. She got her show to where it became very popular. She used a very simple formula of using comics um, on a panel. And um, then she would have this guest. The guest became better and better and better and better. And in seven seasons, she decided to leave. We, I've never seen a person have a finale the way people need to go and look up Chelsea Lately finale. Mm. Everybody was there. Jennifer Aniston and Melissa yes. McCarthy. We she it was had lit. basketball player. Yes. yes. She had everybody there. And that's because over seven seasons, People, you know, wanted to be on the hot show and she was the hot yeah. show and they just all came. I never, ever, I mean, Viv, Viv, I've never seen anything like that where it's wow. like you had Gerard Butler, you had rappers, you had basketball players, Wiz Khalifa was there, all these, I mean, and it was just so strange and she yeah. let us come too. And it was like, and then we all sung, we are the world. It's like, you know, <laughs> if they redid the... They did the, the the words, but if you go online, you will see Chelsea Lately finale. The thing that I like about Chelsea Lately, the reason why I was on it for so long is one, it was a panel show. It taught me how to, because being a stand-up, you like working by yourself, but on a panel, right. you have to share. And so I looked at that as training. I looked at that as yes. it gave me TV time. Plus it also, mm-hmm. you know, upped my exposure for the comedy clubs and it, but it was for, and when you look at it and this is the thing y'all about time, time goes by so fast. These, when we say these seasons, that's years. You know what I mean? It's like, it's mm-hmm. not a whole year, but it's like a certain amount of time, but it's really, you know, a year. And it's like, when I looked at it, I'm like seven years, I was dealing with Chelsea lately. It's like, yeah, that's you know how quick it goes. You were honing your craft. As you said, you were looking, you were learning. And then what did you know? Next thing you know, now you got your own talk show, The Real, okay? Now, you're still part of a panel, but I know, 
and insider knows that the real was really based around you because Lonnie, I'm not, I got to share this with everybody. I went for a meeting and at Warner Brothers because they were wanting me to do my own talk show. And they were like, we've got this awesome stand-up comedian by the name of Lonnie Love. And I was like, I know Lonnie. And they're like, well, we're doing chemistry tests. So child, I thought, oh, honey, I'm going to be on the show with Lonnie Love. Yes, that's my girl. Well, I go there and this chemistry test was a hundred other people there. So <laughs> I will never forget this experience. But I went because I really thought I was going to have an opportunity to work with you. So the show... You know, I didn't get picked to do the show, but when the show came out, I loved the cast with you, Jeannie Ma, uh, uh, what's my girl's, Tia, Tia and uh, what's, what's the other girl's name? Adrian uh, and Tamar. Adrian, Adrian. And, and, no, I ain't going to say, well, okay, we, we'll Tamar. Okay. <laughs> but, okay, so that was the cast of The Real. They started off with five. But now <laughs> it comes out, it becomes successful, and Lonnie, your girl, go keep it real with you. You became the Beyonce of the real mm -mm. because baby when folks got fired everybody wanted to turn around and blame Lonnie Love for they asses getting fired. What the <laughs> hell going on Lonnie? What's going on girl? Why they always blaming you when they don't want to show up and do their job? Why is it Lonnie's fault? That's all I need to know. Why is it Lonnie's fault? First of all Vivica, anybody out there please read my book because I talk about the real. It's called Real Talk. That That's the chapter. But this is the first time, and I honestly, honestly have to take this is the first time that I've heard anybody say that they were building the show around me. I, they, I, Lonnie, I don't know whether or not you knew that. I did not know that. That's okay, why I will I'm never tripping. forget. Lonnie, now I see why everybody mad at me. <laughs> no, but no, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was like, I think that that's how they got me to audition. Because at the time, I'm coming off having my own shows. Right. So they were like, one, you know, they want to meet with you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they were talking to me about having me, me having my own talk show. But then they were like, you know, but we're thinking about maybe doing kind of like a panelist type of show. So for me, I was cool with that. And then they brought up your name. So I was like, oh, bet. But then I get there, girl, and it's like, 50 other people there from other actresses. Everybody was there. Everybody. I said, now, wait a minute. Did I get tricked? But it was okay. Because honestly, to be honest with you, Lonnie, my main thing is that I wanted to work with you. And since oh. then, don't get me wrong. I've co-hosted the show. I've been on the show. I have nothing but love for you guys. I watch y'all all the time. I'm extremely happy for you guys' success. Because you guys, I will never forget. I was there the night that y'all won y'all Emmy. Mm. Child, Lonnie. Yeah. Y'all was so happy. Y'all did not know that that was going to come. I, nope. You should just have that somewhere just on, on a loop in your house. Because y'all <laughs> were so happy when y'all won. I will never forget. I think, did you come up there with your shoes off? That was Jeannie. Jeannie came up. That was Jeannie. Was, okay, I you know so. me. I was doing the ugly cry. So that's what I was doing. The ugly cry. You know, we were the little show that could. And that's what people yes. have to remember. That's why we were so, you know... With everything that happened, we have cast changes. I just want people to really realize that what you just told me, I didn't know, but I do explain mm -hmm. some things. But this is a studio show. And I will always say that it's a studio show that was created for a diverse group of women. So they exactly. picked they picked who they wanted. They felt mm -hmm. like they know the, the, the formula. And that's what they did. And so... When I look back on it now, if you would actually ask me, would you do it again? I would have to mm. say no, because 
Yeah, I would have to say no if I had to do it again. Why? And, I, and I, I explain in the book. I explain in the book. But I would, I would, I would continue to go the path that I was trying to go on. But mm-hmm. the reason why I did it was because I was told, and I thought that it would be a good reason. And I'm, I told you, I'm, I'm big on loyalty. I'm big on trying to help our people. So I thought this would be just a great thing for diverse voices, especially for women, be historic mm-hmm. and stuff. But what I didn't know was the whole, you know, the the all the powers that the blame game right and all that and it was just just very very um you know i i didn't know about it you know when you get a when you get a a show you're like oh you have opportunity to be on a show and it's gonna be easy breezy and all of it then when you get in you're like oh wait what i didn't do this a lot of politics yeah Yeah. no no we're not gonna do it this way and this is who actually does it and this is who and you're like wow you know what i mean Mm. so you know if i and i'm saying if i had to go back Cause I don't want people to say, "Oh, well, why are you still on it?" No, if I had to do it all over again, I yes. would have. Because I remember Chelsea told me, you know, I was trying to decide, well, should I do this show or should I try to do my own show? And Chelsea told me, she said, "Lonnie, if you get a chance, do your own show." Okay. And I never under—I'm telling you—I never understood what she meant by that. But the look on her until face, now, and mm-hmm. now, to, yeah, 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 you know now. Now, recently, Amanda got because I could not. I'm gonna keep it real with you. I'm going to keep it real with you. They may get mad at me about this. Keep it real. Because I thought, no, I thought that y'all had survived Tamar and that y'all were like Beyonce now with Destiny's Child when that that fourth one quit again or didn't make it again, that y'all was good. So I was like, now why they got to bring somebody new on? And why? I like Amanda. But I just didn't get, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Amanda Seals. They're going to try her for the real. Now, they've been doing great with just the four of them. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why y'all going to go back and add that 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 other wheel? And then she didn't make it. Now, now, how do you feel about her departure from the show? I'm sad about that because mm. uh, for me, Amanda is a diverse voice that we need, um, especially now in these times. And so I yes. have to commend them. Um, and I'm saying them, the studio for, you know, um, bringing on more diverse voices. We didn't know, when I said we didn't know, we didn't know they were looking for uh, a co-host. We were just doing guest co-hosts. Oh, you guys had no idea? That's why you got to read the book. Girl, (laughs) you got to read the book. Oh, yeah. Okay, so go read that book and see, once again, that's how you can be working on a show and you think it's your show. And then all of a sudden, the people that is really, they show, walk in and go, oh, guess what? We're trying today. And you're like, really? So anyway, I think you all are fine with just the four of y'all. And that's my opinion. Okay. Well, I appreciate so we don't that, move on. We, I mean, yes. The, y'all fine. But the purpose y'all don't need the, nobody else. But the purpose of the show, I'm telling you, the purpose of the show was to present as many diverse voices as possible. So well, it's tell not you just what, just have, women. It's, 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 you know, all no, kind of women. And we got it. And no. you have to keep doing that. So well, I, listen here. I, I believe y'all need to just have a guest host, every, co-host every <laughs> once in a while. Says Vivica on her show, Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Okay, I can say that because it's my show. That'll <laughs> feel so good to have your own show. Yes, you can do. say whatever you want. You know? God dang it. Okay. You guys have been taping the reel during Corona. What's that been like for you? Well, we um, actually is a lot easier. 
Um, we don't have True to do, we don't have to do live shows. We don't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to make a show. So it's actually been easier. The only thing is that we have to get we we're each in our homes. Um, it's a lot safer. So until we get a vaccine or until we get you know the 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 curve and people down, I, we will be doing uh, at home shows from what I know. So. I really liked it. Um, it's sometimes the technology is a little sketchy, but yeah. you know, you know, you do what you can do. And, um, you know, this is what, and I'm just happy to still be able to have a job, you know, so that I can you know, help with these donations and then help, mm-hmm. help other people. And that's something too. It's like right now it's like, it's funny how my career has always been like, you know, 10 years ago I had had, you know, development deals and stuff. And I explained that in the book about development deals and everything. And then we had the writer's strike. Remember the writer's strike, Viz? Yes, I do, babe. I was I do. so, and people don't understand when you like trying to pick and, and figure out where you're going to go in your life. It's like, okay, I got this deal. We're about to sign it. And then they have a writer's strike. And without Ooh. a writer, you can't do anything. So all of the deals fell through. And then what did you guys get? You got reality shows. So yep. then they were telling us, what was they telling us, Viv? Don't do reality shows. They only gonna last for a year. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Real Housewives been on for 10, over 10 years. You know, Hello. Uh, Love yeah. and Hip Hop, Basketball Wives, all these shows have been on. So it's like, the, you know, we were being advised, well, don't do this because this is going to happen for you and you, you can still get a development deal. And so when I finally get one, then they put me on this panel show. Now I'm on the panel show. And, you know, it was it, it's it's what it is. Then now I'm out of a contract because we're all negotiating our contracts. That's, you know, and now it's a pandemic. Oh, yeah. If it ain't one mean, thing, it's, it's another. It's always. I know. Always. Okay, you were also recently on RuPaul's Secret Celebrity Drag Race, and it got very emotional for you. Yes. Why was that, Lonnie? You know what? I was celebrating. I was so happy to be on there. And I, you know, the thing is, if you follow me on the reel, you know that I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm very yes. sensitive and I'm very vulnerable to... um things that are happening in the world and things that especially happen to people. And, but at that time to be able to, to be in drag and to perform and to have these beautiful outfits and to have the hips put on and the corset yes. to perform and just be accepted. It was just a freeing feeling. And also, you know, I was able to earn money for my charity dress for success. So it was really worth it all and to share my story. And you know what the thing is, is that I did it. And once it aired, I had so many people reach out to me and like, oh my goodness, I just, I feel you. And and the things that you said resonated. And that's what we're supposed to do. When we're trying to do projects, when you're doing your podcast, we're, we're talking, you know, to try to help people. We're not talking to try to hurt them. We're trying to help them. We're trying to understand. We're trying to better our society. And so that's why I think, you know, all I was thinking about all of that. And I just, I just get emotional. And y'all know I do that ugly cry anyway. So <laughs> I like y'all Can I tell you, I love you for your ugly cry. I do. <laughs> I love that you don't mind wearing your heart on your sleeve. And speaking of your heart, before we close out, you posted on Instagram a cute picture of you and your white chocolate little honey, James <laughs> Welsh, y'all in People Magazine. Tell us about that girl. 
Oh, People Magazine, um, they, they wanted to support my book. And so they gave us a beautiful photo shoot. And then they said, oh, let James come too. And it's like, he's just a great support um, for me and through this whole process and everything. And um, it was just a, a great time. We went to the beach and we, we um, posed for some pictures. And so you see this wonderful article and it's, it talks about the book and it talks about our relationship. And he's the last chapter of the book. And it's, it's big, basically like, it's never too late to find love. And that's what I hope for everybody listening. I hope you have love and I hope you have true love. And then James also comforted you when you were on RuPaul's Drag Race, right? Yes, he was there too. Aww. Yeah, he was there to support. You was doing the ugly cry and he said, come on, baby, let me wipe your tears. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Okay. So listen, before we close out, we have to talk about Black Lives Matter and, you know, where we are. Um, I've never ever been so affected by with the killing of George Floyd to see the absolute worldwide response to his killing and how it basically shook up the world. Um, How do you feel about this movement that's now going on with Black Lives Matter? And have you ever experienced police brutality? Yeah. In my book, I talk about when I was arrested during college and it's a very, um, you know, dark story. And this has been happening to black people and people of color for years. Um, Years. I want to I want to thank the grassroots activists because they are the ones that now have been making this change. And it's always been the activists. Um from Martin Luther King, from Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, that have always made change. And to see people, you know, protesting is great. Um, but protesting alone can't make a lasting change. What makes yes. a lasting change is voting. And that's yes. what I want people to understand. Um, we can't let what happened to George Floyd go in vain, but also, you know, Breonna Taylor, um, yes. what is happening with her and her case. We can't let up. But it's just ha- I'm happy to see these young people out motivating. Um, they're out making change. They're out making demands. And they're not saying no, but also there's a response. And I'm happy for that, too. So, you yes. know, I just think that we need to stay vigilant. We need to not, you know, just look at the hashtag and let it fade. I think we just have to keep going. But also, you know, November is coming and there's going to be an important vote. But what people have to understand, too, is that it's not just the national vote. It's the local vote that matters. When you're voting for these these the mayor who makes the uh, police chief who, you know, Mm -hmm. you're voting for district attorneys that when, you know, something injustice has happened, they decide on the case. That's why it's important to do the local elections and participate. So I work with when when we all vote, which is uh, co-chaired by Michelle Obama and a bunch of other um, wonderful people like Tom Hanks and Shonda Rhimes. And it's very, very important that all we're trying to do is make sure that each American has the right to vote safely and vote legally. And so that's what we're pushing. And we're just making sure anybody that's listening, if you're a voting age, please register to vote now. Um, Please get a mail-in ballot, request one, because come November, because of COVID-19, something may happen where you can't actually go to a polling place. So please have that option. 
And um, that's what's important to me is that we make sure the way we can make change is by all of us voting for the right people. Stay woke, people. Stay woke. Pay attention. Those are the main lessons that I try to make sure that, you know, they're counting on us, not like, oh, they got their little movement. They're doing a little protesting. They're doing a little marching. And then we gonna, it's going to go back to the way it was. We cannot go backwards, people. We have to continue to go forward. So please stay woke and please vote, people. Miss Lonnie Love, what's next for you, love? Um, You can catch me this fall on Bridezilla's on We. I am the new voice, and I'm excited for that project. And if you just pick up uh, my new book, I would appreciate it. Tell us where we can get your new book. You can catch my new book anywhere. It's on Amazon. But if you go to LonnieLoveBook.com, LonnieLoveBook.com, mm-hmm. I tried to change so you don't have to. It's something that you will enjoy. Okay. I love that. That, as a matter of fact, Lonnie, we are so proud of you. It leads us to today's hustle hack. Hashtag, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Darlings. Anyone can achieve success if you put your mind to it. Life going to throw you some obstacles. Believe that. But remember that if you dream it, you can do it. I want to thank my fabulous guest, second time author, TV host. Uh, I forgot to put actress in there <laughs> and comedian, Miss Lonnie Love. Where can they find you at on social media, Lonnie? Just go to um, Lonnie Love on Twitter and Comic Lonnie Love on Instagram and hit me up on Lonnie Love 7 on TikTok. Uh-oh, watch out now. Sex with chocolate in the house. Okay. <laughs> so, darlings, you know you can find your girl Vivica Fox at Miss Vivica Fox on Twitter, at Miss V Fox on Instagram, and at Vivica Hustling for our podcast. Subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with your girl Vivica A. Fox. Until next time, bye for now. Mwah.